Welcome to Bow Talks, a podcast by Banking on Women, which is a student society at the University of Melbourne. We are dedicated to empowering, educating and encouraging our members in the financial and professional services industries. Bow would like to respectfully acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulon Nations, who are the traditional custodians of this land, on which we will be recording this podcast on. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bow Talks. Today we are joined by Amanda, who is one of the founders of Escala Partners. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you. We always like to start off by asking who you are and what your passions are. Great. Well, thanks for having me on on Bow Talks. Um, I'm Amanda Fong. I've spent um, mostly my life uh, in Melbourne. I'm married with three children and have over 30 years' experience in the finance sector. As you indicated, I'm currently an investment advisor and partner uh, at Escala Partners. Uh, Personal passions, um, spending time with family and and travelling, but like many, obviously COVID's made this a bit of a challenge, but it also enabled me to um, revisit my love for tennis and, of course, uh, lots of walking. Awesome. You'd be loving the Australian Open then. It's happening at the moment. Yeah, it's very interesting. Let's see what happens. I'll uh, just see what happens, but uh, it should be a good one. Yeah, absolutely. So you already touched on um, what you're doing at the moment, but I'd love to talk about your career previously, which has been very impressive. So could you give us a summary of your career and maybe some highlights? Sure. Um, I guess I'll start with what actually drew me to finance, and it was studying commerce at Melbourne Uni um, and having had part-time retail and hospitality jobs Entering into final year, I thought perhaps it was time to to consider looking for um, a part-time job in the finance sector and hopefully post-final year that may lead to a a grad uh, position. It was the late 80s and I was fortunate enough to um, be offered a job one day a week in the final year um, with a stockbroking firm in their institutional equity research division. So that's how I sort of entered the industry. And in terms of a career pathway, it's been in, as I said, institutional equity research. And that's essentially working with um, a senior equity analyst and, and they look at ASX listed companies. Uh, then corporate finance. And that was with one of the big four accounting firms and that was specialising in valuations. Um, back to equity research, but this time on the private client side. And that was a pathway to lead to um, uh, private client, I guess, wealth management, uh, where I currently am. That's great. Sounds like you've had quite a varied career. Sure, it has been. So what really drew you to make the move from equity research into wealth management? Um, Yeah, it wasn't a conscious move. Rather, it was more a transition based on opportunities as they presented Um, As I said, after initially starting in institutional equity research, that analytical work led to um, a position in valuations in corporate finance. And then, to be frank, after a few years and and following maternity leave and still with an interest in um, investments, I moved back into equity research, but this time on the private client side. And it was around the... the, um, the late 90s that many of the global investment banks were either selling or, or closing their Australian wealth, um, private wealth divisions, and that included Deutsche Bank. So as a result of that, I transitioned into private wealth advisory at Merrill Lynch and then UBS 
private wealth management. And, you know, to be frank, um, you know, raising a, three children and with um, my husband and myself working full time, uh, the work-life balance um, was, was certainly gained in, in wealth management. Yeah, that's great. Yep. And so since like transitioning to wealth management, so you obviously left your role at an investment bank to start your own company. So how was this experience and have there been any challenges associated with it? Sure. Um, it was around probably 12 years plus in, in private client wealth management advisory and that, as I said, was with global investment banks. And after, as I said, 12 years, there were eight private client investment advisors and we collectively decided to set up our own um, boutique wealth management firm, Ascala Partners, and that was in May 2013. I guess the catalyst to establishing our own business was about providing um, optimal investment advice to clients. Um, at that time when we started looking at establishing our own firm, investment advisors were paid a commission, that's a percentage of any buys or sells. The firm or the global investment bank was vertically integrated. That means, for example, the equity research was from the investment banking arm. Clients had to use the cash management trust that was managed by the same firm's um, asset management uh, division. And any public, um, sorry, initial public offerings or IPOs, again, they came from the same firm's investment banking division. And I guess we believe that the above, those sort of um, examples that I just gave, didn't always lead to acting in clients' best interests. So we took a risk in leaving comfortable jobs, but felt a strong, I guess, sense of obligation to, to act in our clients' best interests. And we established a firm where those perceived conflicts didn't exist, um, including, for example, remunerating all investment advisors with a salary and a bonus, um, where the bonus is not related to gathering assets. And I guess that replaced the commission scenario. I'll just touch on a couple of challenges. There were a few, but we certainly overcame those. We had to ensure that there was appropriate governance and controls, like the administrative platform, risk controls protecting client assets, um, attracting our own research team and ensuring that any recommendations for underlying fund managers were external to the firm. And I think importantly, moving away from each advisor managing a book of clients, um, which was a silo approach, we have a very much a team-based approach where every client is serviced by a team at a scala. And, and again, we think that ensures um, optimal investment advice. Well, it sounds like the starting your own company like well and truly paid off because you're able to sort of build those like real trusted relationships by being non-aligned. Absolutely. Other incentives. Yep, um, that's right. And, and I'd say, look, we're coming up to our ninth year. We've got um, you know, considerable assets under management, so a seven and a half bill and, um, you know, a really, you know, 60 employees plus. So, you know, we're, we're very proud of the business. Yeah, of course. It's done so well. Now, it's been great to hear about, about your career thus far. Um, I'd love to speak about the wealth management industry more broadly. So for someone who may have no idea, what is wealth management? Sure. Um, look, to keep it simple, I'd probably say um, if a client is seeking investment advice, obviously they're going to turn to a professional in the sector. So 
collectively the types of professionals that they would be seeking probably fall under the category of financial advisor. Then within financial advisory, there are probably two major services. There's asset management and then wealth management. And asset management is just as the term states, it's the management of client assets and that may involve domestic and global equities and fixed income and alternative assets. And asset management firms very much focus on maximising return of client assets through asset allocation, whereas wealth management, on the other hand, that refers uh, to overseeing all financial aspects of a client and that might include um, you know, taxes, estate planning, cash flows, and really, therefore, wealth management encompasses asset management uh, and takes a more holistic view of a client's finances. Okay, yeah, that's a great summary. Thank you. And so what type of work does your role in wealth management involve? It's probably quite varied, I imagine, but what would a typical day look like for you? Sure. Um, yep, you're absolutely right. Um in terms of what does a role in wealth management involved, um, I guess the key responsibility and commitment of any investment advisor um, is to uh, make sure that they're aligned and understand what the client is seeking. And that includes things like their investment objectives, their goals, the risk tolerance and time frame. Um, and in terms of what does a typical day look like, um, I think, as you alluded to just before, um, you know, no two days are the same. And I guess managing, you're managing investment um, portfolios for clients of different types. You know, there might be a, a, um, a private client or it could be a not-for-profit. And then within private clients or high net worths, you know, they're different ages. It could be a younger client or a, a client closer to ret retirement. So an advisor needs to be flexible and really understand um the client. Just a couple of other things, just on an odd, sorry, on an ad hoc basis, you know, obviously we've got to always um, provide oversight of portfolios. So we've got to ensure that if there are any changes, we've got to contact the client. The client might actually ring us and say, look, we've got a liquidity event. For example, a, um, a deposit is required for, for a house. You know, they need to realise something. You know, what, what do we do there? So you really need to be flexible and ensure you understand um, each client. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that on top of managing your clientele, like you'd also have to have a really comprehensive knowledge of like, I guess, the products and investments available. Absolutely. And that's where we've got a, a, an internal research team and mm -hmm. they certainly um, provide that information for us. Yeah, very nice. And what about, like, for a graduate, what would their sort of role look like? Sure. Um, from a perspective of a graduate, uh, I guess their role would be very much supporting um, the investment advisor and, and the team. And on a day-to-day -day basis, it would include things like um, assisting in the construction of um, investment proposals, um, implementation of some of the investment strategies, obviously guided by the investment advisor, um, preparing, you know, documents for client reviews and meetings, which we generally have on a quarterly or biannually basis, um, onboarding of new clients in terms of the, the administrative paperwork, um, you know, 
maybe placing trades and orders. So it's it's a really fluid um, role, and it, that is to expose um, any you know graduate to to the various um, responsibilities within being an investment advisor. Yeah, and I've, wealth management seems quite unique in that you get that client facing work right from the beginning like I feel like in many other areas of finance that's really something that comes much later on absolutely it's very much um uh, an in-person um you know trusted relationship um you are you are literally you know speaking with the client um you know next to family and health someone once said to me you know client managing client portfolios is is certainly up there as as something that's very important and so as you said it's very much a, a person personal um relationship yeah absolutely so I guess from that wealth management is of course as you mentioned tailored to every individual client's profile so what are some of the considerations you have when choosing how to manage their money sure um as you you said every client is absolutely different it's probably um easy to answer that question if I just give you a couple of examples of of clients portfolios or sorry of clients and and the management of the portfolios you might have a client who's a retired um, you know couple and you know they've worked hard all their life they're now in retirement and they want to ensure that they've got uh, you know enough income to live from uh, for for the rest of their life and they're probably a little bit more conservative than they might look for a total return of eight percent and they may not want unlisted assets because um, the lockup period can be, you know, 10 years. So you've sort of taken their age into consideration. Then you have another client who might be in their early 40s, earning a very comfortable salary. They've got excess cash flow with a much longer time frame. And, you know, they can tolerate, for example, unlisted assets with a longer lockup period. They, can pro- they probably have a higher risk tolerance and can withstand greater volatility versus the first client. And just maybe another example where you need to be um, flexible is if you're managing money for a not-for-profit organisation, and generally there in that circumstance we're working with a board or subcommittee, and really these boards or subcommittees, they're decision makers, but they're not the asset owners. So that's just sort of three examples where you really do need to ensure that you're tailing um, the investment advice specifically to each client. Yeah, interesting. And I'm sure that would keep it interesting that it's varied between each client. No client is the same. Absolutely, absolutely. So how has the approach to wealth management and I guess the industry as a whole changed over the course of your career? Um, yeah, look, in short, significantly. Um, look, I started, as I said, over 30 years ago, and at that point there seemed to be more of a focus on investing in direct equities um, with a home bias to Australian shares in particular. For example, you know, is BHP better relative buy than, than Rio or, or CBA over Westpac? And that was typically referred to as stockbroking. And with the Australian share market accounting for, you know, just less than 2% of, of global share markets, obviously investors were very much missing out on or ignoring um, significant return potential from offshore and also diversification benefits. So it has changed significantly in that it's now more holistic um, and it's very much now based on strategic asset allocation. So that includes all um, assets and 
obviously looking at some really competent um, underlying fund managers to to um, complete the portfolio construction. So it very much has changed from stock picking to something that's more holistic uh, for clients. Okay, interesting. And following the Royal Commission into banking, well, did that have a huge impact on wealth management and I suppose the industry? Absolutely, it did. And, and that was finalised in Feb 2019. And look, to be frank, unfortunately, and in some cases, and I should make the point, it was only in some cases, the findings did expose a culture of, of greed and, and profits and shareholders being put before you know clients in the law. So I think it's made clients more aware of the need to seek professionals in the industry who are going to commit to acting uh, in the best interest of the clients at all times. And, for example, just ensuring that fees are fully transparent, um, potentially any, any fund managers are not um, or are external to the, the firm themselves just to ensure independence and that remuneration is not tied to commission. So it really did uh, unfortunately expose some some poor behaviours, but I think clients will in the end be far better off. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure that like in that environment, Escala's non-alignment would have been ex- extra important. Absolutely. There was a need for trusted wealth managers. Absolutely. So are there any current trends you can see in the industry that are shaping how wealth management looks into the future? Yeah, and it, yes, and it probably is a little bit of a follow-on from the Royal Commission. Um, it's about recognising wealth management industry as a profession rather than an industry, and similar to something like accounting and law. But one of the recommendations of the Royal Commission did call for a, a single dis, dis, disciplinary body for the oversight of financial advisors. Without getting technical, it's ASIC or the Australian Securities um, Investments Commission, and there are actually certain educational requirements which need to be met now for a financial advisor to be authorised to provide financial advice. And I think uh, this um, recommendation at a minimum will certainly improve the quality of investment advice and, and hopefully transition the industry to a profession with improved outcomes for clients. Yeah, great, great. So I'm sure after all this, there are many students who are in, interested in entering the industry now. Great. So for a student who's looking to enter, what kind of people would you think are suited to wealth management as opposed to other areas of finance? I guess, like anything, the kind of people for wealth management, you need to have a passion for investing an understanding, I guess, of asset allocation um, and really importantly, as we've touched on before, empathy with people. So wealth management, as I've alluded to, it's very much engaging with clients and understanding what drives them. And it's not always about delivering the highest return. I mean, clearly that's that's a great outcome, but it could be educating the client. It could be minimising the portfolio, portfolio drawdowns. Um, it could be managing portfolios which are on trust for the next generation. So you really need to have a, a, an interest or passion for investing and empathy with people. I guess they really need to have, as I said, a, a soft side. And there's a saying which is, you know, we have two ears and, and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. 
Um, and as much as we're engaged to provide advice, um, I think a, a good investment advisor that can listen is a really valuable, um, valuable thing to have. So beyond this, obviously, some strong technical skills, you know, in Excel for, for modelling, and you know, PowerPoint and Word. And I think for anyone considering entering the industry and given the focus um, of this podcast is women in you know, banking and business, I'd certainly encourage any you know, female students out there who have, do have a passion for investing to consider a career in wealth management. It is male-dominated, but there are absolutely no barriers to entry. And hopefully that's something that will change into the future. Absolutely. It is already changing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think wealth management, I think it could appeal to women because it has, like, as well as that, like, investing side, it also has that personable side. Absolutely. It's got that plus, I think I said earlier, um, work-life balance. It, mm-hmm. it, it certainly does allow for that as well. Yeah, that's great. And so how can a student best position position themselves for a career in wealth management? Um, There's probably two pathways to a career uh, in wealth management. I guess the first would be, you know, as a university graduate or maybe even working part-time whilst um, completing your degree, it's sort of entering the industry at a very early part stage and that would be, for example, an administrative role or it could be an investment assistant to a team. Um, as I said, the role would be very administrative, uh, opening client accounts and you know, transferring cash and, and very basic administrative work. But you're very much you know, in on the ground and learning about the industry. And then you can potentially progress depending on you know, performance targets and, and demonstrating some key abilities, you can move through to you know, investment associate and maybe a senior investment associate into an advisor. That's one pathway. The second, um, and we've seen it at Scala, is actually gaining experience elsewhere and entering wealth management as either investment associate or a senior investment associate. And that obviously depends on your level of experience. I'll give you an example. Um, At Escala, we've actually employed two associate advisors and they graduated and worked in um, the big four accounting firms and they actually gained their CA or or chartered accounting qualifications. Um, Both have brought some quite different and relevant skills to their jobs and they've progressed and deservedly so to being investment advisors. So, you know, there really are sort of in summary two pathways yeah great yeah it sounds like it would be super helpful to like lay the foundations of knowledge elsewhere then be able to like bring that to a career in wealth management absolutely absolutely yep yeah so more broadly now if you could go back and give advice to your university yeah. self what would it be <laughs> always a good question um look two things um i would be more organized and disciplined and i'd probably work a little bit more consistently throughout the academic year and I think that would have reduced a lot of personal stress and pressure and probably would have led to some better outcomes. Um, Outside of this, I would say pursue whatever you enjoy because you'll likely do well at it and importantly, it will be, whatever that is, it'll be very rewarding. Um, And as I'm saying in a funny way, my daughter is just that, uh, she's a second year uni student, so it's sort of like talking to her at the same time. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And I'm, 
I'm sure need to take on the advice of working more consistently throughout the uni year as well. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I really wish what I know now, I wish I did do that. But at the time, it just didn't seem a high priority. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everyone take notes. <laughs> Agreed, please. Um, and we always like to finish off by asking if you have any content recommendations for our audience. Content, well, if it's not, it's actually not related to the industry at all. I would actually say there's a great book, a memoir out there, Eddie Jacu's memoir, which some may have already read, that The Happiest Man on Earth. I mean, he was incredible. He, he lived to 100. Um, you know, he how he found happiness after he was surrounded by, you know, unimaginable horrors is just um, you know, a testament to, to him as a person. And I, I really think... There are a lot of underlying messages in that memoir, which um, you know I think you know will live with people for a long, long time. It, it's a great read, and I think you can take lots of messages from from Eddie. Yeah, that's great. It's definitely one to add to my list. Great, please. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Amanda. It's been a pleasure, and I'm sure you've um, provided a lot of insight for our listeners. So, thank you again for taking part. Pleasure. Thank you for having me, and um, good luck. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bow Talks. Please do follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Banking on Women. Thank you, everyone. Bye.